Hello, my name is Antonio Rodriguez, and I will be having a conversation with Christy Rode Carrera as part of an oral history of Brooklyn Transcore to be included in the New York City Trans Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experience of trans identifying people. Anyway, let's get started. <laughs> Thank you so much for meeting with me. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've been working on a project about Brooklyn Trans Corps, and it's an oral history project. So what I've been doing is I've been going around and interviewing a bunch of different people uh, from the old days and from the new crew. Uh, I spoke with Al and I spoke with uh, Saoirse and all them. And uh, I've been compiling it into a zine uh, that's an oral history of Brooklyn Trans Corps. And literally everyone I talked to was like, you got to talk to Christy. Like, Christy was there from day one. She did all of the work and all this and that. So, I would love to ask you a few questions. Uh, but to start, can I get your f name as you'd like it to appear in the project and the correct spelling? Uh, Christy Rode, and it's C-R-I-S-T-Y. Um, then R-O-A-D-E. Um... There's no S at the end, or is there an S? No, no S. Okay, Christy Rude. Okay. Like the Green Day song. Um, and then, um, if it could say Carrera, Christy Rude Carrera. Spell it? like C-A-R-R-E-R-A. Carrera, C-A-E-R-R? C-A-R-R-E-R-A. Yeah. Christy Road got it. Yep. A hyphen or just like that road um, being. No, a... just just like three words. Okay. Cool. Awesome. And your pronouns? Oh, she, her. Okay. All right. Cool. Um. Again, thank you so much for meeting me. Uh. So, I talked to Al about the origins of Brooklyn Transcorp. And, and uh, they mentioned that they actually used to meet at your apartment. Is that right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, it was, there was just so much um, community back then that I, I don't... It's all like... Um, it's all just kind of blurry because we were always just, like, having so much fun. And we would meet at my house, but we would meet... Um, and I don't even remember how many meetings I went to that weren't necessarily um, about like a festival, but, mm -hmm. but, um, but overall it was just this really exciting time around uh, 2014 um, to create a community that's founded like a queer punk community, but that's founded on trans um, resilience and voice and rights and not, in the past, it's always been like a very lesbian community or a very gay community. And in punk, and I always do whatever. I'm like, um, you know, I, I don't even know what I identify. I just identify as a punk girl. I'm a um, genderqueer woman, Latina. And I think that like by science, I would be non-binary, but I, I don't use that term because I feel like I experience... I don't know. I think it's a Gen X thing. I like, I'm like, well, I'm a woman. I experience like cis woman things and, and privileges that I really, and then there, I don't know, there's certain cis woman 
things that I identify with, but as a queer person, I've never really, I never really felt welcome in a lot of um, lesbian spaces. And then a lot of bisexual spaces were like, I don't know, just everything was very heteronormative and weird. And I always hated how transphobic everything was. I always hated how misogynist um, different communities were. And I was just really looking for like this kind of like vision of queer community that was about um, anger and res and um, uh, resistance and kind of what what I looked for when I was a baby. And I didn't know what my gender was when I was, you know, a, a young teen, like looking for punk. Mm -hmm. And um, I was I just needed something where I can be whatever the fuck happens. And um, and then also like, you know, the conversation on racism, conversation on misogyny, on femme identity, on butch identity, you know, like all these all these things that um, weren't really um, talked about in a lot of these more binary um, punk scenes that were about feminism and queerness. And so um, it was just really fun seeing all the bands getting together and the, the, the stuff that was going on. Back then it was a trashy when, when they were Penguin and um, Inaco and uh, um, um, uh, um, Little Waste and who was, I'm like trying to think of all the bands that were playing like the stage, the Punk Island Brooklyn Transport stage in 2015. Mm. Um, I may have that. Let's see. There was Glitter Punch. Uh -huh. And then um, there was, uh, oh my God, there all these bands. Um, who is this really, this band that was so good. What the fuck were they called them? I, I should just remember and, and give you a list of, because I would really, um, um, I really like, just remember all of these really magical uh, moments where I felt like, wow, this is a very like, brown queer space this is a very like queer femme space this is you know there's all this stuff happening at the time and um and not even specifically brooklyn transcore new york city local bands um but during that time bands like gloss were blowing up and uh downtown boys were blowing up and there was just so much um energy geared towards um um trans identity and 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 elevating trans voices in punk and then there was also so much conversation about racism and it was just really an exciting time for these like things to be happening and so i was just really excited that brooklyn transport always was available for these movements even if it was you know downtown boys we did a show that was downtown boys in school who were like all like woman queer women of color hardcore band and um, and then the Homewreckers, my old band, and it was all these like, you know, like Gen X, old millennial, like brown people playing punk that have been playing punk for a thousand years, opening for Downtown Boys who were just like, they were they were releasing their first full length, uh, full communism. It was the opening, the, the record release show. And Brooklyn Transcore like made posters and did a bunch of stuff. And like, you know, it was just very community, a community that I felt like, it was beyond like these specifically queer bands, um, but the the priority was elevating, you know, marginalized people and and trans people are at the front line of every fucking movement. So um, 
so that was really exciting about Brooklyn Transport, just that during those times. And um, there was, you know, it, it was it was hard. We were young. We were like everybody was between. I think I was um, like mid thirties, and everybody was like late twenties, early thirties. We were all like in our Saturn returns. We were all like losing our fucking <laughs> minds, and but trying really hard to like create a community and and then also listen to like the younger generation and, and listen to what they wanted and what they needed. And, um, and it was really hard, you know, to navigate these spaces. And there was a lot of times where people felt um, violated for different reasons, whether it was uh, misogyny or violence or racism, um, whether it was like in the community or uh, I don't know if you were there during the Brooklyn transport um, stage event. I can't remember what the band was, but there was a hardcore band and there was this violent straight men act as if they own hardcore, like violent straight men in the hardcore scene who are transphobic. Like this is the other thing. It's like in punk, there's always been this like, oh, you know, he's he's messed up. Like his dad's fucked up. It's like, yeah, we're all therapists. We all know hurt people hurt people, but don't fucking be transphobic and don't be violent like out of nowhere and don't exert your power as a, a cis white man in a space where um you know the the majority is a queer community and so there was this this band playing and this fucking dude just runs up and starts like moshing into people and he he like punched Al. it was like really over the top and then um sybil lamb who's this amazing author and was performing and was like in town and she like chased the guy out and she's this like, you know, like queer trans punk icon from like um, the New England. And she's just been doing shit forever. And she's a beautiful artist. And um, it was, I, I know her as this like, you know, we're, we're like tortured artists and we cry together. And then out of nowhere, she's just like chasing this fucking bro out and be like, get the fuck out of here, throwing books at him, throwing her book, which had just been released. And it was this really magical moment. And I think that that was, that was like, honestly, the last um, punk island that I, I felt like I was an, an organizer, like a, a core organizer, because we were all getting old and just kind of like looking for our purpose. And after that happened, I like went to grad school. I like, or I think I was in grad school already, but I just started working on my tarot deck, the next world tarot that was really inspired by um, queer core, any kind of queer core historically. Um, what year was that? Oh, please interrupt me, because I can just talk no, forever. No, no, I think all of this is very valuable. And, um... Yeah, yeah, and it's all, it's like, also, like, my upbringing was not a specific riot girl or queer core scene. I'm from Miami, like, you know, we kind of get a lot of that DIY punk in a different way than the rest of the United States. I felt more connected to, like, Latino bands and, like, South America, the Caribbean, and it was just very different. Um, as far as discovering DIY punk and anarchist punk and um, and finding queer bands, I just knew about like bands from the West Coast, like uh, Pansy Division and Tribe 8 and stuff in the Bay Area. And I was obsessed. I was like, that is going to be my life someday. And um, and I was really into that scene. And I go, my name's Christy Road. It's in Martinez, California. It's a Green Day song. It's a beautiful area of the world that you can go relax and decompress. Um, but... I did not find that like queer community and really, I had amazing badass friends in Miami, but like it was like the overall scene, we would go with Mace, you know, we would go protected. We're like, there is like shitty dudes 
Or if you're at a really badass show where everybody's like badass brown people, you know, like we have, we're looking out for each other's because the, the hammer skins might come. And like, we were always just looking out for like these terrible things to happen. And there was never a scene that was like, I was never in a scene that was founded on feminist queer values. Um, and then I would, I traveled around and I found anarchist scenes that were really beautiful in Gainesville, Pensacola and in Florida. And it really changed my life to be in these like anarchist punk scenes. Um, but one that was like predominantly queer, um, and about playing music and not really about like queer anarchist, um, a activism. Um, I was really, I had not found that for myself until I moved to New York city and Brooklyn transport that. And I was, I was kind of old. I was like 33, 34, you know, and I had been traveling since I was 15 and, you know, in punk rock scenes and looking and I would go out West and I would be like, everybody here is gay. Like, and I just, but I didn't move there because I didn't want to be like, you know, I don't know, chasing my crush. I was just like, I wanted to find something that was all mine that I like, you know, I, and I moved to New York because it was like, there, it had so much queer history. Like we had like Jane County and we had like all the, all this like queer glam and punk that like is like, its own world and I just think that at the time there was like when I moved here there was like so much specific queer in the Lower East Side and Brooklyn and Queens it was like these queer um like secret um sub communities of punk and um seeing them all merged into one beautiful thing like you know like seeing like Kembra Failer performing at Tompkins Square Park with some fucking Brooklyn transport band, like that happened, you know, I think Trashy performed, I don't remember, but just seeing like these two, like legacies of queer punk in New York together was really magical. And I, a lot of that was happening when my current band Choked Up started. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I didn't go to that show cause I was in Miami or something and it was very sad, but, um, but yeah, like she's such an icon and then just seeing these worlds merged and then, um, and now I just feel like there's so many, the way, you know, fast forward to New York now, um, cause I fell out of organizing and being, cause I like, you know, just got, like cultivating my art, being an old person, being a cat lady and just going to shows and supporting the bands, but more just kind of like trying to set up stuff. Um, and I, I love, you know, I love what's going on now. I love um, the organizers and I'm, you know, the, one of the head organizers right now, uh, Sawyer, I've been playing with her bands. I've had my bands um, have our release show with her bands for like three generations of bands. And <laughs> it's just like, you know, Mandy, Library, it was just like a lot of choked up and home records, um, record releases. And it's been just like a really, um, yeah, like a really long time of like of family and band family. And it's really magical. And just seeing how it's growing now to this whole other thing um, is really, really exciting. Because, like, I, I attend the shows and I'm like, oh, kids these days having such a good-ass time. And I'm really happy. And I feel like, you know, we're all coming from such different places, how we talk about gender, how we talk about queerness, how we talk about survival. And I, I always feel, I always say I'm a Zoomer, but with an X, mm. like a Gen X Boomer. And I'm not even, you know, I'm 40. I'm not, I was, I was born on the millennial cusp, but I like hated the internet and television so much in the nineties that like, 
you just become an old person. And like, and I don't know, I just feel like punk, like I, I'm so committed to how I, I, how I brought me up, you know, mm-hmm. that adapting to new models um, is very, very daunting for me. I'm just like, oh, TikTok, what is Like, you know, is that, is, is that genuine? Or are we gonna be able to speak our truth? Why don't we write a zine about it instead? And like, you know, I feel very like I'm old sometimes. Um, so I try to stand back because I'm just like, they know what they're doing. Like I see queer people, I see brown people, I see black people, I see like black narratives being elevated more so um, than when I was, you know, going to shows. And I just think that's so important. And so um, I, I love what's happening and I love what's going on. And I'm really excited to like be a part of it as a musician and as an artist that's just old and gonna contribute um, in whatever way I can. Um, but, but yeah, like it's very different, you know, seeing it now. And, um, but I still feel, I feel very inspired and I'll, you know, I'll definitely participate in organizing. If we ever want to do a festival or something like that, like we used to do a queer punk pride, um, since before Brooklyn Transcore. Um, I started doing that with, so pre Brooklyn Transcore, um, the queer, the attempt at queer community, punk community, we had a party called Queers, Beers, and Rears. Um, and my Queers. friends mm-hmm. and my roommate, Tom Tom, like they were boyfriends and they just did this party. Tom Tom was a designer. And um, and even before that, my other roommate, Tommy, did a party called Stash. And it was like a queer rock and roll uh, nightlife party. And that blew up to like, you know, Manhattan nightlife. But it started as a fucking weirdo night where it was like unheard of like this is 2006 2005 so it's like it's called stash and so stash then queers beers and rears and it was just this like oh it was a queer punk night you know like so it was like the beginning of like organizing and my favorite queers beers and rears show was homewreckers party line um and um i can't remember who else played i'm an asshole but it was just like, oh, you know, this this like merging of, of Riot Girl, Party Line is Allison Wolf's band, and um, this new generation of like queer punks, and in New York and the Homewreckers, you know, and then Party Line and the Homewreckers shared a drummer, Crystal, and it was, you know, it was this very new community, but it was definitely, you know, us like queer core punks in our like late twenties and thirties. Um, or now in our 40s and 50s, but at the time we were like, we need a queer punk space. We need, you know, we need more, we need like a riot girl space that is trans inclusive, that's black and brown. Like, you know, we need to create these things. And so we were doing that, but it was really fucking hard. I'll never forget a queer punk pride that I organized all with burlesque that was all like, like, you know, like just really badass femmes and like, very different bodies, very different genders, and just a lot of really badass bands, a band called Hey Baby, the Homewreckers. And well, and we did it in Manhattan to just like make it, um, to just kind of be centralized, which now looking back, it's like, oh, that was a bad idea. We should have just done it in some fucking warehouse somewhere and made it a punk show because we tried to do a thing where it was like, well, if it's too punk, it's not accessible to a lot of people who don't feel safe in certain kinds of spaces that are too DIY, especially at the time when queer people were just like, 
in a, in a very different brain of like we want a clean bathroom instead of like we want a, a, a secret bathroom that nobody's gonna bother us and it was very like well we want i don't know certain things about aging about gender about identity even about um reaching out to black and brown communities a lot of times there was a lot of queer punk spaces that were very very white and a lot of my friends would show up and be like this it fucking smells here and like you know like we're gonna go to the black and brown like queer night which is fun and you hear house music and you hear some rock and roll but it's not just white rock and roll music and we want to go to that instead and so it made sense so what i loved about brooklyn transport was that it wasn't like a a, a party night it was a movement that was you know i love the party nights i think we should fucking have a party night and i'll play i'll fucking dj and play all the black and brown rock and roll that like you know nobody knew was queer and then um and i don't know i i think that there's always room for that like i love nightlife and um that that energy of queer punk in new york it's more like club and drag and like you know just more burlesque and and um and more about like resisting transphobia and homophobia through exerting our sexuality or, or, you know, like that, that's what I moved here for. And Brooklyn Transport was like, it was like, you know, punk bands and a punk collective putting on punk shows, but there was always room for like every conversation. Like if you're a crazy ass band that like wants to do burlesque, wants to do performance art, wants to do like experimental noise, like, there was so much really good shit like that that I loved. Like, it felt like what I would hear about when I would hear, you know, I was a teenager and I would hear about punk rock shows in the Bay Area and I would hear about, you know, a band like Huggy Bear playing with Pansy Division. Like, these two dis- like highly distinctive sounds, but both of them were on the same agenda. And so hearing about stuff like that happening, I was like, oh my God, like, I want that, you know, and I never found it. And, and then... I, it was amazing to be able to create it with uh, with when Brooklyn Transport. They would do a lot of shows in like backyards and in like I can't exactly remember. Somebody else might. Mm-hmm. Um, um, this a lot of these shows were maybe in conjunction with like Queer uh, Kitchen Brigade, um, who are uh, um, loose and uh, th- this is like a crew of like two thousand. 15, 16, and it was, um, they were doing a lot of work around um, this queer, uh, undocumented folks and, and food politics and, and accessibility around food and, and also showing up for um, other communities outside of New York City. And it was very like black and brown centric. And it was, I, I'm not exactly, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not like giving the best information about this. So somebody else. Queer, um, like C-U-I-R or queer with a Q? Yeah, yeah, queer, like yeah. C-U-I-R. Yeah, hmm. interesting, interesting. No, yeah, you've... you've uh, okay. like the, I remember some benefits in, in like backyards and stuff. And yeah. um, I'm trying to remember the noise band that was really fucking good and wild and they just reminded me of like... It's not even the kind of music I listen to. I listen to, you know, I, I listen to like Chuck Berry and, and like... Uh, jazz and green day yeah. so um but this band was really beautiful and i can't fucking remember what they're called there's a um, bunch of schmeckle clinical trials 
I'm looking well, at your page Schmeckle. right now. Schmeckle. Schmeckle was a band we played a lot with. The Homewreckers played a lot. So funny. Um, Clinical Trials also. All those bands. Um, you played with Shell Shag and Inako in 2009. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mentioned them in the beginning when... Like the replacements, but queer. That's funny. Uh, Twat Sauce. Uh, there's a lot of interesting names here. Yeah. So all of that's really, really interesting and useful, and it connects to. I a love lot. what's it like the replacements but queer. Uh, I think that said Inako. Yeah, Inako. Oh, that's a bad description. I think yeah. they're like Sonic Youth. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I heard about them a little bit. I remember. Um, I think they played before I got here. So I, I want to go back because we've gone over a lot of stuff, and I've written a lot down that I want to follow up on. Uh, starting, starting way back. Uh, can you tell me a bit about how, how old were you when you originally found punk and how exactly did you find it? Um, I was about, well, I discovered punk when I discovered rock music and I was really into like Aerosmith mm -hmm. and the Beatles and I was an ACDC and Queen and, um, and then I knew about the Ramones and Blondie and stuff and, but I didn't know... That, the, that there was still, like, a, a following of that kind of community. Like, I thought it was, like, hearsay, you know? Mm -hmm. And then and in Miami, it's just, like, I don't, you know, I'm, maybe you relate just, like, growing up in, like, a cultural community. Like, I was in a Cuban and just very, like, Latinx, like, world where finding alternative scenes outside of that that were like more integrated outside of this community in West Miami it just was really hard to find that so I would just find punk within my scene and everybody was like into just stuff that I wasn't into like everybody I don't even like stuff that I like didn't understand like Black Flag and Rich Kids on LSD was a band I would always hear about. And Sonic Youth, I, we just brought my, uh, you know, and I was just like, I don't get it. All the Nirvana fans were into Sonic Youth. And I was just kind of like, I like Aerosmith. <laughs> and then I heard Green Day and nothing was the same ever again. I was like, this is my, my path. This is uh, my calling right here. I understand everything Billy Joe is singing about. And I, it's really creepy and magical. And um, how old were you? I was uh, thirteen. So this would have been what, like ninety seven, ninety eight. Well, I was twelve then, ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah, so probably around ninety four. It was like summer ninety four. That's interesting. Uh, well, February, March ninety four. Um, so because it was one hundred twenty minutes, mm -hmm. and they played Christie Road. And they played Longview, mm -hmm. and um, Dookie had just come out, and I was like, I liked it, but I wasn't like crazy there. And and then I heard, uh, I don't know, I don't remember what I heard. I think Basket Case or something. And mm -hmm. then I bought Dookie, and I became obsessed. And then I just kind of like, the day I bought Dookie, I also bought, I bought Dookie at a place at Specs Music in Miami Beach. And my mom bought it for me. And, um, well, somebody lent me Dookie. And I really liked it. And I kept it. But when I bought it and I owned it, and I and I, I also bought a book that was like a biography. 
Um, and it talked all about uh, Pansy Division and Gilman Street and Blatz and Queer Core and... Um, Was it this one? 94 Gilman? No, no. This is, is that's this... new. Oh, this is 1994. Okay. okay. Um, it's a Green Day book. Okay. I, I'm pretty... Let me see if I have it, like, easily accessible. Oh, here it is. Oh my God! Yeah, they they had this at Specs, and I bought it with Dookie, and it's this book. What's it? Is it just Green Day? It's just the Green Day what, book. What's the name? Yeah. Who wrote it's it? It's called Green Day. John E. John E. Wing. And then there's. 1995. They sell for twenty-eight dollars, by the way. Oh, 95. <laughs> Yeah, 95 is when this came out, this book. CD yeah, book. oh, I bought it with Insomniac. I bought it with Insomniac. Okay, okay. Interesting. No, I bought it before Insomniac. Um, so, in the, like, it's basically just their story, right? And so, in the beginning, God, I want to find a cool photo, but they don't have, where's the fucking photo? I thought they were, in the beginning... They talk about uh, Pansy Division and um, Nine Two Four Gilman Street, and but they talk about it um, in this way. Here's Rancid in the book. Mm. Um, they talk about it in this way that's like really morbid, mm. and I, I was drawn to that as a Cuban who could not go home to my family, and we would always go to. Like the Cuba paquetes, like to send them our mail, to send them stuff, to send them medicine and food, and and I so I just grew up with this notion of like, well we can't travel there or send mail there, but we have to go to a special place because it's like it's just like this you know this thing, and I was really clueless as to what was going on, and but I just really related to that feeling of like doing what you love and and having to live your life, but having this like. Um, restriction or like really creepy like like oh I'm not allowed in this thing that I love but I'm just gonna thrive here otherwise like a jail like existence is mm -hmm. and I don't I like I it was, it was comforting to me to be like oh my god green they aren't allowed at home neither am I mm -hmm. like so I just really related to that story and I hated that punk like condemn people for signing to major labels especially um green day who grew up really poor and it's like the second they made millions of dollars they bought houses for their moms so it was just kind of like bullshit that everybody was ostracizing them when they were just being poor people and then you know and i'm a fucking brown person from miami so i see in the hip-hop community i'm like yes bitches like you all are fucking celebrating your friends who get rich and then your friends fucking like invite you to their fucking parties and are your friends and it's like money could damage people but it could also heal people who are fucking poor and like you see that in black and brown communities but then all these white punks being like you sell it like i was just like suck my dick mm. but I, you know at the same time like so i wrote green zine because of that. Like, Green Zine was my zine that I wrote in 96. And the first issue 
was all about how Green Day did not sell out because, and, and I was like, here's an example of bands that sold out. Like the Sex Pistols had a song in a Mountain Dew commercial. They have sold out. And like Green Day take Pansy Division on tour and make their friends rich. And now Lookout Records is a multi-million dollar corporation and they can pay out all these fucking bands. And now fucking, you know, like, Spit Boy will get a bunch of money. It's just like, that's fucking awesome. Like, and you know how much money they've given to Gilman Street? So it's like, I, I was just kind of like, this was before Gilman Street even accepted their money. But I wrote this zine and I was just so livid. And then the second issue, I, I like started reviewing bands. I started, you know, I started mm. interviewing bands. I started being in my local scene and like learning, you know, just finding punks. And then AOL started. So I got to go on AOL and like find punks that were into Lookout Records that way um, because the punks in my community were all into hardcore. They loved hardcore. It was like Latino hardcore. And it was men, a lot of men. And then my girlfriends, they were all into ska. We were all into ska too. So it was like, you know, Latinx. Like we like ska and hardcore. And like we're, we like fight about cops. Like some of us, hated cops and I was like I want to find you know the shit Green Day had I want to find the fucking food not bombs critical mass DIY I want that I don't want to fucking go to shows with goddamn cops like I don't you know fuck that and so I ended up finding that world and it was a lot of and it was really funny because my first time going to a show with a, a DIY anarchist show um and uh, the, the, my favorite vocalist, Ivy Jean, who's now an a, a amazing friend and we've been in community now, you know, for like almost 30 years. Um, she was in a band called Los Canadians and now she's in, she's in Allergic to Bullshit and in Black Rainbow. She's like, has been, she taught me what harm reduction even was. She's been like doing needle exchange stuff like forever. She's like amazing activist. And I was really into the band 15 and it was a 15 show. And we went, it was a pretty big show. It wasn't like an anarchist basement show or anything. And and this was in Miami. And um, she goes up to me after after the show and she goes, I just want to tell you, it's really cool that you interviewed 15 for your zine. It's really cool that you're into like the anarchist punk and you discovered it through Green Day. Like I, like a lot of people are judging you. A lot of people hate you for that. A lot of people, <laughs> I was like so canceled. Yeah. I like everyone because it's like she's turning these like you know these anarchist bands it she's like celebrating them and green day oh my god she's going to hell mm -hmm. so um it was uh it was really annoying for me but i just felt very you know i felt i had no filter i was just like really hopped up on caffeine and like anything like caffeine and i was like you know age 15 through 18, it was just this era of being like fucking obsessed with punk, but like navigating these worlds. You know, I loved Screeching Weasel. I loved the queers. I loved like pop punk. And I would go to those shows and I would, I would take up space in those shows with my zine and I would interview bands, but everybody, I was just, you know, I was young and I was just like, like acknowledging what was fucked up. And I, I feel like I didn't really like, need the queer feminist world until I really started dealing with like terrible abusive people mm -hmm. um and I feel very lucky to have been in just like a fun punk scene where everybody was like 
brown people and like I had a lot of women and, a lot, and I had queer friends like I just felt like very like seen and there was so much homophobia but like I would write about it on my in my zine I would be like someone call me a dyke today and then I hit them with my green day bout bought my <laughs> my green day bag yeah. and that really happened I wrote about it in my book indestructible mm-hmm. but anyways like it was just like this really like um, weird um, time of being saved by Plunk, but not, but losing my culture, losing Miami, losing, you know, it's like the more anarchist I became, the less I related to Miami. And now I feel really integrated because I feel like I could be this like, you know, Juanita from fucking West Miami, mm-hmm. but then also, um, have my values my anarchist values then i don't identify as an anarchist because i just feel like i live in new york city and i like yeah i pay the bills and participate i think i I think i would feel more confident doing that if i like lived off the grid for example but like because i participate in capitalism i but yeah my values are, are very much in tune to like the values i've always had and and I, but I also believe if your band gets famous as hell, and I was there when Against Me got famous, you know, in, in Florida, mm-hmm. and I fucking hated that people were ready to cancel them. And I'm just like, listen, poor people who play music should should be allowed to get money for their music. Yeah. Artists should be allowed to get money for their art. And I think it's bullshit that punk really condemns that, or did at least in the late. Oh. Hey, uh, one second. Let me um. Let me get this. Give me two minutes. I'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, is that your kid? Yeah, he is awesome, so but he just woke cool. up. <laughs> He's adorable. Uh, I want to bring him to Punk Island this year uh, and introduce him to everyone. He just turned three. Cool. That's awesome. Um, but yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, he's he's pretty great. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I could talk about him forever. <laughs> His name's Desiderio. Um, Desiderio after one of my ancestors. So. Cool. We call him Desi. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we got a good sense of um, where, originally where you're from, all this, the starting of Green Zine. Uh, when did you move away from Miami? Did you come to New York first or somewhere else? Um, I went to college. Well, it was like, so before college, I started hanging out in the West Coast of Florida and in Fort Myers because I really liked the ska scene and I fell in love with this guy and it was just like um, the last, first and last um, monogamous boyfriend I ever had. Mm-hmm. in 1999 and um i started hanging out in fort myers florida and th- it was it was this really fun ska scene that like it was very working class and like the politics anti-racism and working class politics were like really exciting for me um but i just really needed um feminism and i started hanging out um in gainesville okay. where there was bands like Bitchin' and Discount. Oh my God, Discount, best fucking band ever. And um, and I don't know why. So I didn't go to school. I I should. Sometimes I wish I went to school in Gainesville, but I'm glad I, I went to school in Sarasota. And 
Um, Where at? I, I, at Ringling. Okay. Because I got to not, um, I didn't have to take my SATs and I got like art scholarships. Because mm -hmm. it's an art school and you, I pretty, I got it, you know, I, you just have to draw well. And, um, and it was really fun and I'm really grateful that I got my like figure drawing. Like that's kind of, you know, I'm, I, I feel like there's always shame around that, but it's like all the fucking Riot Girl founders were at Evergreen. Like everyone went to some fucking people, you know, a lot of, a lot of cool people went to like bougie schools and, um, and I, so I was like really grateful that I got to go to this school that I got financial aid and I got, you know, and because their figure drawing classes were fucking awesome. It was like really, really amazing figure drawing. What but, years were you there? What's that? What years were you there? Uh, 2000 until 2004. Okay. Um, and the semesters were so short. They were like three months. So I would spend the whole year traveling and being a, a punk and, you know, like not really, like I'd move every semester. I would like, I never really had like physical stability, but I, I didn't care. And I had like all my stuff always in like, just kind of like travel, like it would grow. The more my like hoard of records and things would grow, the more I was like, oh shit, I got to move somewhere and I want to stay somewhere. And and then I eventually, I decided to go to Philly. And the reason I chose Philly um, was because in Florida, so in Florida, when I was in Sarasota before Philly, I discovered the first queer activist community that like really saved me and held me. And it was really beautiful, like full of like activists and artists and we organized together. And I, I feel like I kind of fell out of punk in 2002, 2003, um, because of a really messed up relationship that I was in that, you know, a lot of my books are about it. I've done so much art and music about this, this relationship that pretty much just like, just like affected my relationship to punk and folk punk and hitchhiking and DIY anarchist punk traveling. And I was like, fuck these dirty white boys, like hitchhiking and saying it's the revolution. Like you're all fucking assholes. And then I started hanging out in queer communities and queer activist communities. And we were all coming from the same place. We were all, you know, in the same fucking like crusty hitchhiking trip and hating on the same douchebag. So it was like, eventually we all just ended up you know, doing very similar organizing, having very similar goals as artists. As, um, but the more that I, like, just really fell in love with the individual people, the more I was like, God, I love my friends here, but I love pop punk. And I am dying without pop punk. And then I moved up north, and I, was, I stopped in Philly because it was more queer. It was like I, all my queer anarchist friends were there, and... Some of them were like, yeah, come here. We'll start a punk band. We'll sound like Crimshine. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I show up and nobody starts a band with me. Like everybody, we all just like cry about love and sex every day and have terrible house meetings about racism. And, you know, I grew a lot and I learned a lot, but. What year was, was that that you moved to Philly? Uh, 2004. Um, well, 2003 was when I started hanging out. I mean, real talk. I start, so when I said that I would travel between school semesters, mm. I would go to Philly. I would go to Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mm. And that became like my new punk scene because everybody was like, it was weird. Like everybody was vegan straight edge, but then me 
and my gay friend Tommy, who eventually moved here um, to start a queer punk um, activist movement called Queer Fist. Mm -hmm. um, he started that with a couple folks in uh, 2002, 2003. And, um, and yeah, like we just started like, it was like very, you know, punk. It's like, it was very, this was even before social media and before it was like more like travel. Everybody was traveling all the time. And I feel like people travel differently now. Um, it's very, very like an anarchist, like it's a lifestyle or they're on tour. Before it was like, like that was the pastime almost. It was like, and I feel like now there's always like, there's way less punk festivals. There used to be a fucking punk festival every goddamn weekend. And now there's like badass music festivals, but it feels like something like Punk Island is so unique. There just used to be a lot more, like just a high concentration of like punk festivals all over the States. And um, I would travel to them and just take, you know, Greyhound, scan the Greyhound. And we did that for such a long time. And like, there was this thing called like, like t six days of chaos or 10 days of chaos or some shit in Denver. And then there was like <clears throat> Thrill House in San Francisco had these big summer, like two day band things. And, um, the, and then there was like festivals that were like just um, the Southern Girls Convention and, and NCOR, the National Conference of Organized Resistance and I just remember all these things, a uh, uh, Portland Zine Symposium that had the best fucking Against Me show in a basement that I've ever been to in my life. Like, everybody's just like, you know, this was, was a free show, but they were, it was like right when they were blowing up. It was like their hits were mm -hmm. just like, I'm getting goosebumpy, like talking about it because <laughs> it's like such an importance. That was 2002. So 2002 was when like, I felt like, oh my God, you know, this DIY punk community is so magical. But because of the abuse and the shitty, like, scary men that I didn't want to deal with, I just wanted to be around more badass women and queers and, like, and, and definitely more people of color. Like, and then I just slowly found that and I moved to Philly. I, I hung out there and it didn't, you know. And then I ended up in New York in uh, 2000, like, late 2004. 2005-ish. I, I was just always traveling back and forth. I settled in my apartment in 2005 and then I moved to my apartment that I'm at now in 2007 and I've been here ever since and I like, you know, I, I travel if I go on tour but otherwise I'm, I'm like a fucking I'm just like grandma here in the house and um, it's like a it's been really magical to just like live out my like teen punk vision um i'm really inspired by people like like aaron conobus who just like wrote his zine had his bands now owns a bookstore in williamsburg and lives his life still writes a zine still has bands but williamsburg because... virginia right what's that williamsburg virginia oh no williamsburg here really what's it called it's called book thug nation I'm sorry, the dude from Comic Books owns Book Thug Nation? Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I had no idea. That's why all the labels are in his fucking handwriting. That's not fucking real, is it? Jesus. Yes. 
That's real. He used to he used to work at Clo when I moved here in 2005, he worked at a bookstore called Clovis. Mm -hmm. And I released and it was on Bedford and North Third. And I released my book Indestructible and it was my first like spine book. Mm -hmm. Like it was gonna be Green Zine 15, but I quit the zine and I was like, I wanna put out books, I wanna be more accessible. Cause I'm sick of these fucking white boy punks. And that was the thing. I came to New York like looking for punk and trying to reconnect with punk. And but keeping in conscience, you know, like don't fall into the trap of too many white people, too many straight people, too many shitty dudes, like people that hate Green Day, that's not allowed. Like, yeah. you know, just like don't fall into the same shit that you've fallen into in the past. And New York's perfect because there's so many fucking scenes and so many people and so many and you know, like um, yeah, and I, that's when I, I said I, the, you know, full circle. That's when Stash started, and mm. um, with my friend Tommy, and Tommy would do uh, the thing called Queer Fist before Stash, and then he just moved more into nightlife, and um, and then he's actually in the latest Choked Up record. He plays drums okay. in the the newest Choked Up records. Tommy Hot Pants, who does more, you know, fancy gay stuff. He produced the Joey Arias record. He's just like you know, gay musician but he's not um deep in punk anymore but um i don't know i just thought it was very important for me to like move here and grow and settle and like yeah. settle and in, in, in here and stop traveling and yeah um and i mean you were already in your 30 i were you 30 when you moved here uh i was uh 24 mm -hmm. okay. 25 20, 20, yeah 23 24 I was 25 when I moved into this apartment, and before this apartment, I lived um, in Tommy's apartment. Mm -hmm. Like I moved, I signed the lease to this place, but I was at Tommy's apartment. And when I moved in, like a bunch of queer, like like drag queen performance art stragglers that were all just like sleeping on the floor, all moved out, and I like cleaned the fuck out of that. <laughs> Took all the meth out of the fucking freezer. We flushed it down the toilet. Like, it was just like, you know, like, and then we just decorated it. But then it was like, you know, two months pass. And it's like, we're doing mushrooms every day. And we're still fucking, like, crazy ass, like, queer weirdos that don't feel like we have a home. And, like, you mm -hmm. know, the children. We were all just, like, the orphan children. And um, it was really awesome. It was really a magical time. But it felt, it still felt like punk rock, even though we were doing nightlife and we were like, we were deep in New York nightlife and I was not going to that many shows, but I, when I would go to shows, it was like really badass, like Bartlett street house and Tompkins, Tompkins house. And, um, and then, um, you know, those were my neighborhood. So I was living over in, or they were in Brooklyn. So it's like, I could bike there, but. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know about much outside of that. I knew about that scene because that was like, you know, Common Bus had a band and it was all the like DIY punk wait, wait, bands. So you, this was all in Manhattan. Do you, this you... was all in Brooklyn in 2005. Okay. And now you live still in Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm in the same apartment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, Common Bus's band back then was called uh, Crybaby MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And the singer um, Galen was eventually in a band um, called. What the fuck were they? Oh my god, I just feel so bad that I don't remember what they were called. Well, the singer of Kyrie MacArthur, Galen, um, you know, she's a mom now, she's fucking awesome, but my favorite fucking singer is so much like Ivy Jean, like, just of that scene, region rock, as, as many call it, it's just like a Crim Shrine-ish, 
It's like very Shotwell's a very famous band. This bunch of pipe bomb and against me grew up in that scene. It's just like Southern DIY anarchist punk that is more melodic punk than hardcore. And I just think a lot of anarchist punk scenes are like very hardcore based and in the South and in the Bay area, it was very pop punk based. And I don't think I seriously, like, I want to write a book about this kind of scene because everybody fucking hated me for talking about it in my scene, but my zine, but I love, I still love it. I love that. Like, you know, I think choked up really references the sound I'm talking about bands like Pinhead Gunpowder and, you know, Aaron is in Pinhead Gunpowder and Billy Joe and, yeah. and then like, uh, but yeah, Shotwell, uh, shot like Aaron wasn't Shotwell for a minute. And it's just like a small ass Google pop punk scum fuck. Yeah. Um, of bands and, and, you know, a lot of bands that came out of the scene are like Riot Girl bands and like, like, Younger Lovers, Brontes, Purnell, Franz Younger Lovers. And we were writing zines together when we were like 20, 21. When he was writing Fag School, we were like the, we were like the lone, like black and brown queer in the scene. And every, you know, there was, there was like three or more, three, three or four more, but like, you know, there wasn't very many of us. And it was like, we really had to like stick together. And now we're all old and accomplished. And, but it's really, really magical to see how like the punk I grew up with has evolved um but it's not you know it's not tightly knitted to watching a full circle comment now watching brooklyn transport um carry on the legacy of the diy anarchist punk that i grew up with mm-hmm. or not even that i that i learned about when i was a teenager but couldn't find because i was in miami and then eventually found through traveling and through like diy you know like uh, illegal traveling and yeah. all that kind of anarchist um, community, but it was like, you know, it was so male, it was so white, it was so, like, stressful. You know, that... Let's let's actually, let's go to Brooklyn Transport, because there's a lot there that's super interesting. Yeah, no, I was just like, going to say how, like, Brooklyn Transport yeah. perpetuates well, how it is now, right? out of that and re- redefining yeah. all that. Here's, here's what's interesting. I find it so fascinating that you're picking up all of this experience and all of these stories really on the east coast circuit and by the time you land in new york it's 2007 but it's still like five years i land in new york in 2005 yeah so you're still like five six years away from brooklyn transcorp so yeah yeah was brooklyn transcorp a thing when you found it or was it forming sort of as you were building no it was well no it was forming so no, like I so what I mentioned before, um, where it was like stash was happening as the queer party, and then queers, beers, and rears was similar to Brooklyn Transcore, but it wasn't like a, a a DIY anarchist like show organizing mm-hmm. um, space. It was a party, but because it, it was you know there was organizers um, and. There was like people like me who had been setting up queer shows since I moved here, and I like I mentioned before the queer punk pride, and I would do queer punk pride every year, and then Brooklyn Transcore um, came out of trans artists um, who were fed up with the queer representation being so either lesbian or gay. You have to pick. And when I would organize with a lot of these, you know, really cool spaces, it did feel hard to, like, 
remind the world that like, hey, you know, dykes need voice, fags need voice, but we need trans like voices to be in, in the forefront right now because it's 2006, like gay men still will make fun of trans men. Like gay cis men will still make fun of trans men and you know, cis women will still are still making fun of or, or not accepting trans women and you know stuff like the michigan women's festival um was um ostracizing trans women from going to their festival and just very very blatant transphobia was mm. just it was part of america it was it was even part of feminism it was part of dyke culture and like that's why i never even related to a lot of dyke spaces because i was like oh women's women only but like you don't like trans women but like one of my oldest friends from growing up in DIY anarchist punk is a trans woman. Um, and maybe me and her didn't even have a, a, a close relationship or a good long relationship. Um, but Samantha um, wrote, was one of the most important zine writers and punks that I grew up with. So I just grew up knowing that it was just like trans women are women and deserve to be heard and if we're not and if they're not going to be welcome at the dyke party i don't want to fucking go to the dyke party and i always just got a, a bad taste in my mouth about a lot of um dyke spaces that didn't seem to welcome trans women or like didn't like call out um transphobia it was more just like well we're women trying to be in the world and i'm like well, you should have solidarity with struggles. Like struggles should be universal. So I basically, I, I personally just felt like it was always a dead end, like sell it, creating these queer shows because it was, and me, me and my friends would joke about it. And, you know, we were all, we were mixed. There was gay men, you know, Tommy is a cis gay man. And um, um, Steven was organized queer boys and Rears, also a cis gay man. But then like our bands, like Party Line, and, and you know, we were all like, women cis women and then my bandmates were all trans like the home wreckers um, um jay and turtle um were trans men or are, are trans men and then um crystal and me were cis girls and we were all like genderqueer we were all like you know um like we did not we didn't really like fit in with like dyke scene and we didn't fit in with like a gay male scene so it was just like we need a queer punk space like yeah. and the more we tried to do that the more it just felt like parties and then we would go hang out and um and so jay from the home records was like old time besties with al who was one of the founders and and jane another founder um and so i would see al and jane at shows i met al and jane at a a circle jerk show. It was circle jerks and Dillinger four. And I was wearing an open toe wedge. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm 29. So like, I'm an adult and I'm not going to mosh tonight. And then the second D Dillinger four go on and I hear three, four, I like run in to the pit and I freak out and my nail falls off. And that's just a cool side story. But um, it was really fun. I sat outside with my fucked up nail with like 
Al and Jay, and we we just like and and then Jane shows up, and it was it was like the first time that I was like, this is really fun, just hanging out with like a queer punk crew, and like I never felt I I feel like if you're a cis girl and you're the only cis girl, but there's trans women and you feel alone, it's just like it's just like oh, ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. like I just I'm, I I don't I don't really I don't totally get it. Um, and and I think that um, my identity as like a genderqueer woman who's always been bi and pansexual, but mostly a dyke. But like, like I, I like guys, so I'm. It's like I don't fit, like you know I'm I'm evil. I, I bring boys and drugs to the lesbian party. Like that's like my my identity crisis. Um, when I was in high school, it was like, well, she's not invited to the soccer after party because she's gonna bring some man. Wear her Green Day shirt and fucking bring drugs. Mm-hmm. That's fucking loser. So, you know, I just really always wanted that kind of space. And I felt like I found that in punk. I found that in, like, goth and rave scenes. And, but for it to be centralized and organized and, like, with intention mm-hmm. um, was what Brooklyn Transport was all about. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't honestly know who sat down and was like, let's do this. Um, but... I remember when, you know, Al and and Santos, who is a black trans, amazing bass player, and he was in the first wave of Choked Up, and he's he's in, he was in Trashy, and he was in that community, and um, I remember meeting him and being like, oh my God, like, you know, like brown people, and like queer, and like, and he loves Rancid, and we were were both like, at the time, we were both like the same age, like mid-30s, and and like, or, you know, just kind of, and, you know, like just meeting somebody of the same generation of, of punk. And then there's folks like in their later thirties and folks who are 40, like her. And I had a lot of friends in their early forties who were just like, never had this, you know, they had rave culture, they had house music, they had like, you know, what you could find. And me and Jay, um, who always had pop punk, always had DIY punk. We always joke that we'd never date in the scene. We just date at the, the dyke bar. And then we like go to shows at the punk show. And that was always really hard because it was like how, like we want to feel integrated, you know? And then when when we started being intentional about not just hanging out with our queer friends it, and we were like setting up shows and doing stuff like that. And then queer punk pride, the first queer punk pride that felt like an actual queer festival was at Silent Barn. And it was the Homewreckers, it was Penguin, um, Shady Hawkins, another band at the time. And um, there was Zine Readings, and there was um, Girl Crush, Jay's band. And um, um, I think Inaco played, I don't remember, everyone fucking, there was, there was so many bands back then also um, that aren't around anymore. I'll send you the flyer. You're talking about um, Jay Oberman, right? Yeah, Jay yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Jay was a huge um, organizer and, and founder of the community also of, of that intentional Brooklyn Transport. Um, and he fronted Girl Crush and he played bass in the Home Records and And so when that was all starting, it was just so, there was so much magical energy of like my generation of angry queers were just 
creating really beautiful worlds. And but the thing is that like before um, Brooklyn Transport, um, if you could definitely, I think it's very important to name before Brooklyn Transport, there was Manifesta Loft and there was um, 1087 Loft. And both of those were queer show spaces. 1087 was like, that's where you went and they had the right girl cover band shows. Like, you know, there was so much intention around queer shows and it would happen. Like, I remember my first like all queer fucking life-changing show at Tompkins in, in Bed-Stuy in, um, this was in 2008. And Tompkins it was, um, in Bed-Stuy? Yeah, Tom, the top, that was like really kind of famous punk house. Oh, Tompkins uh, house. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was uh, The Measure and Black Rainbow and um, Cheeky, I believe, also played the show. And then um, the band, um, what the, why can't I remember the, Carnal Knowledge. And so Carnal Knowledge were all girl hardcore and just like fucking wild, like vibe, like this, this energy of like bands, a band that sounds like this hasn't been around in forever. And it was dual vocals, um, Lauren and Jess and Jess now fronts Outskirts. Um, and Outskirts are a very amazing band. And, um, and uh, that, yeah, that show at Tompkins, 2008, I believe it was. And, or no, 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 it was 2000. Yeah, no, no, it was 2008, 2008. And then, so there was another band called Zombie Dogs that were playing a lot of shows. And the first home record show was Zombie Dogs' last show. And it was really wild because it was like, um, Zombie Dogs was fronted by Tamara Santibanez, who is the amazing tattoo artist and artist and painter and, um, they are this just really badass um, Chicana like artist, and to just see you know queer people of color fronting hardcore bands. Um, Kathy Cole was another queer, probably like one of the first queer brown people in a punk band that I had ever seen in New York. And Kathy um, plays in Outskirts also, and she's fucking awesome. Like she, she's just like one of those fucking massive like shredders she's so good and um she drummed in my old band um uh a doo band called sandy and the rats that was short-lived doo band sandy and i've never heard of that was yeah Ho- yeah was homeworkers um, your first band yeah my i guess my band in new york my first band ever was in the 90s and we were called wabase waska Okay. The Green Day reference. And mm. then my next band was called uh, Cartwheels Incorporated. And we were a folk punk band. And then after folk punk, I just did... Oh, I was in a band called Nervous Wreck. We were, it was a bunch of Long Island punks. And then me. And then they kicked me out. Well, They're cool. awesome. It's fine. They kicked me out because they wanted to sound like Black Flag and I wanted to sound like The Replacements and Jawbreaker. Mm. And they were like, this is boring. And then I started the Home Wreckers, which I also wanted to sound like Jawbreaker and the replacements. But then Crystal joined, who was in Party Line, 
and she was just like badass fucking 80s punk drummer and she made the homewreckers like a thousand times faster and cooler than like i envisioned mm -hmm. so um um, but yeah, so there was, a, I'm just saying there was a lot of queer punk happening before Brooklyn Transport, and there was a lot of really, like, amazing bands just playing queer punk shows, and, like, you know, there was a lot of, like, division, there was a lot of, like, um, really, really, like, a lot of tension between, like, predominantly straight scenes and the queer bands and the feminist bands, and I'm just like, you know, it's always been that way, it's like any, any, any like um, creation of, of feminist community is always gonna lead to this like unintentional division because a lot of male-dominated communities are gonna feel like guilt almost or just like some kind of a awareness of how things about their scene that might be be outdated and I just felt like. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the time communities are just like, we're women, we're black and brown, we don't need to be politicized. You know, fuck all y'all, go have fun. And I, I was always sad about that because I was like, I want to play your shows too. I want to play every show. I want to play the Manhattan shows. I want to play the Brooklyn shows. And like, I just want, if it's women, it's queer, it's just glam people. I love the fucking glam scene. And I always felt like they hated the DIY anarchists and, now I try to just, I love doing it all. And I love, there's a really amazing glammy, like uh, queer band, um, trans woman fronted tits, dick ass. I, yeah, um, I know them. Yeah. We're playing with them on, the, on 420 and they're just so fucking good. And I love that like the singer is part of the, like the cast, like community with the band, the trash bag, she's in the trash bags. And the trash bags are just this like Manhattan, Lower East Side, like glam, they're just old ass, you know, they're like when I met them recently, because they played with the long shot, like Billy Joe's band, they were like, why, where the hell were you, you know, Tenny, why don't we know you? And I was just like, because I was fucking not, I was not showering, you know, over in like a fucking basement in, in Bushwick. And y'all were in fucking Manhattan dressed like fucking really gorgeous, like, like, like art, art, art punks and like, you know, it was like a very different, we're in our 20s, we're dogmatic, we're like, in our, you know, it was really hard to find each other when you're like really, really committed to your revolution. Um, but now we're all fucking old and we should all play shows together. So I love um, that Tits, Dick, Ass and Dilators played the first Brooklyn Transport thing that I went to. That was that crazy ass sold out show at TVI. When was that? Recently? It was a party. And it, I don't know if it was a Brooklyn Transport thing. It was like the beginning of the new wave of Brooklyn Transport, and it was called Gender Injection. Right, yeah, I saw and that. Yeah. And it was Titstick Ass Dilators and somebody else, and it was just like, it was, they, they oversold the tickets, but nobody gave a fuck, and it was just like, people were fitting in the the show space so they were outside eating and having fun and it just felt like a gay carnival a gay festival of punk and, and i was just like who the fuck are these people everybody in their 20s is queer and like alterna like that's fucking wild like i did not have that you know like it just when i first moved here it really felt like the queer punk was like an underground cesspool of people that didn't want to deal with it or 
they were the queer punks in their scene that had support, had relationships, had life. But, you know, like me and Jay, when we were in the pop punk scene, we were like, people were nice to us. You know, we didn't deal with a lot of like outward homophobia, but every now and then, you know, the Republican guy, you know, the screeching weasel and all that, you know, he would not know how to deal with like pronouns. Yeah. Stuff, you know, like, and it would, it, a lot of the time, I, I just remember me and Jay, like being in our later 20s before, I think it was before Al, like moved to New York or, and started playing in Girl Crush. Like it was before there was more of a community. And me and Jay just felt kind of lonely as the queer punks and in the pop punk show. Mm-hmm. And it was always like, we would go to the show, we'd watch the band, the band would be over and be like, hey, wanna go to the Metropolitan? All right. Like, and it was just lonely <laughs> and like polarizing. And then, yeah, so it was just really awesome to um, kind of like um, see how things are happening now. Like it, it, things feel way more integrated. You know, it's like, there isn't like, oh, well, we're glam punk and you're like dirty anarchists. We should, you know, it's more just like we hate um, the fact that our rights are being taken away. We hate that we don't have health care. You know, we hate that like fucking JK Rowling is still mobilizing um, TERFs, like um, trans exclusionary radical feminists. She's still mobilizing um, transphobia in radical feminism. And it's just kind of like these things are still happening. Like, and then the, you know, like there's so much work left to do mm-hmm. that we can't afford to do it um, by like isolating our scenes from each other. Um, and so I love, I love it. I love everything happening now. I'm very excited about it. Come to Choked Up and Tits Dick Ass with TV Moms. <laughs> 420. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that recent uh, flower, yeah, uh, flyer. Um, that's so interesting. We booked them for Punk Island last year. They were great. And I've cool, seen, I've seen yeah. them a couple of times, actually. They're, they're yeah, really yeah. Um, okay, cool. We've been talking a long time. I just want to check in to see if you... Yeah, no, I do feel like I kind of rounded off everything I feel good about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some specific things I want to ask about, just as short answers. So, I, I got all these smaller bands that you were in. Then it was the Homewreckers. Then what else after that? Um, just choked up. I was monogamous with the home records, um, from 2008 up until 2016. We broke up summer 2016 and then choked up started, uh, fall 2016. Mm-hmm. And then summer 2017 was when choked up played our first show at, uh, Punk Island. Okay. Um, at Brooklyn Transport stage, I think, or we might have done a different stage. We might have done, I was like, I wanted to spread out maybe, but I really can't remember, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then Choked Up has gone through a lot of lineups. And so what, you know, the revelation I made with Choked Up was I need to acknowledge that I write, have been writing the songs. Like, you know how bands write songs together. Mm-hmm. I have never been in a band like that in my life. I'm a singer songwriter and I bring the songs to practice and the bass player adds their part, the drummer adds their part, the lead guitarist, if there's one, adds their part. And then we discuss it, you know, like Rachel 
added a bunch of really cool like chord changes. She added a bunch of like music, like instrumentals. Um, Jay in the Homewreckers added like a bunch of really cool like intros and outros that were like real classic pop punk like flair, you know. And then every drummer I have ever had is a fucking killer, insane drummer that like fills. And I don't know if you've seen the pop punk meme that's like a good singer that's high energy, a pretty decent bass player, and the best drummer you will ever see in your entire life. Yeah, and that's pop punk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's just like that's, I really do believe that pop punk really, like my, my era of pop punk, that like, 90s more monotonous like dookie like no solos like you know you could add them on but like it's just like there's it's not paramore it's not my chemical romance and it's not going to be like that it's not ever going to be like that and um and so that's another reason why i can't keep bandmates for very long because the people from my generation that are kind of like really really familiar with the kind of punk that i put that i write and where i'm coming from they are all in hardcore bands or they are just like have kids and don't want to play music. It's just like you know, it's just hard. Hey, or they play. Hi. Do you want to say hi, Desi? Hi. My friend Christy. Hi. Hi. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know things. You know, situational. A lot of my friends live out west. A lot of my friends live in Miami. Like yeah. So me and Jay played together forever because um, even though we wanted, we had like very different visions of playing music and what we wanted, but. We held on to each other for so long and we're still, you know, really close friends, but um, it's really hard to find people. I call it boomer pop punk. And so right now, choked up, like after Rachel and Wes, who were just fucking killer, like, you know, Wes was super into the used and Rachel was really into like Mayday Parade. Like, those are bands I have never heard in my life. And like, you know, it was very like, we created such a good dynamic sound, mm. but... I think that like it's really real when musicians need to move on and like play what they love and do what they love and not be in this kind of a band where like the singer does everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I need to just accept that that's what I do. And so ever since I've been looking for bandmates, I've been very clear about that in a like, um, you know, if I was rich, it'd be, it's the kind of thing where you like hire people. But because I also come from the punk framework, I would love to find people that are really excited about it. So I'm very lucky that after Santos was the first bass player, after he left, um, Rose was the bass player for a long ass time. And then after Rachel and Wes left, me and Rose um, played with Casey for a while. And then Casey is, um, you know, Casey was a perfect example of the kind of people that I kind of end up playing music with because so Casey, plays drums in Broadway musicals and she's been in really fancy musicals that I don't think she wants me to even say in public, but Mm. I'm so proud of her. And she's in a band called Tender Heart Bitches. And to have two DIY bands on the side when you work in Broadway, it's don't, don't ever do that. One DIY band is enough. So like, I was like, girl, you know, you can't do, you can't like try, even though it's really fun. I know it's really fun to just show up and bash the shit out of the drums and not have to write songs because your fucking singer is crazy and wrote all the songs already. Like, you know, so it was really fun to play with Casey and then Casey quit and um, now it's me and Rose left also. She's doing her thing. She's traveling. And so now Albert, 
who is in the States. And I was hanging out with Albert last night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Albert's really into DIY punk and the community and building community. And I think that's why it works with them because, like, they love punk. And they know that, like, but they also are open to, like, the hustle. Because I'm like, if I get offer, offered a really good opportunity, you know, we had a song in a Disney movie. And we, like, have opened for, like, I've, I've opened with Homewreckers and Choked Up. It's, like, collectively for a lot of important bands and played a lot of huge shows and like Wait, you know. I'm, I'm sorry Christy did you say that you had a song in a Disney movie yeah what one well, movie no, it's a Disney Pixar short it's a Pixar short which one which, what's it called and Feo Travesado is in it what's it called Nona your kid would love it. it's really fun it's about a wrestling grandma Nona okay what song yeah, are, and which band wants to be a wrestler which which uh, band was it the uh, Homeworkers no, or? No. Choked up, really? That's yeah, yeah. It's very recent. It's Belterasado, and it's really funny. So we recorded that album with Mass Giorgini, who um, pretty much wrote all the fucking uh, melodies and um, uh, harmonies for Screeching Weasel. Like yeah. he's a fucking, you know, like melodic genius, but really, really traditional. Like really, really meat and potatoes. Like harmonies yeah yeah and so after we finished the album i would joke and i would be like you know if we can't find a label it's fine we'll probably get in a disney movie and we did that's totally what happened because fucking like and i told mass and he was stoked but i was just like you know like we like doing pop punk and making it so like upbeat and clean, but then it's still punk and it's still raspy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that is a weird genre that is not, you know, it, it's like if it's not filtered through, like, fat records or, like, that mainstream pop punk, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't trend. And, like, I am i don't give a shit. I'm like, that's what I love, you know? Like, I want to, that's what I want to play and that's what I want to write. Um, but yeah, finding people that want to do this is really hard. Um, and so our new drummer, Ozzy is also in, in circles and he's another one who's, he's really stoked on DIY punk and building community and, and playing shows and it being fun. And, you know, he just performed, um, at South by Southwest with his other band Shred Flintstone. So then it's like, all right, well, you also have a consciousness of like the business aspect and like like he's excited about doing these high profile festivals and stuff and i'm not really but i'll do them and then once i do them i'm in it i'm just like fuck yeah we're doing the things but until it happens i'm just kind of like can we just play dive can we just be townies yeah like can we just play local bands you know i'm so inspired by bands like the trash bags who i just brought up um because they just so you know they tour they play shows but they just fucking like play amazing local shows and they don't stop doing that they play every local show like they'll play a small show they'll play a big show they'll play they just are just like gonna hustle new york and i just feel like that's what being a band in new york is about like as a miami girl that like grew up in a you know i i was seeing newfound glory before they blew up and i would go to those shows and everyone in the audience was like fuck yeah these guys are gonna they're gonna get big these guys are gonna get a big fuck yeah these are my boys they're gonna get big and i am just like why do you why is it like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, so then i got into diy anarchist punk 
but I, New York is like this perfect middle ground between DIY, building community, and then like being in a hustle, it yeah. being a hustle. Yeah. New York's fucking expensive. So you want to get paid. You want to, you know, you want to, but I fucking love, we just opened for Desert Sharks record release and like fucking like, I it looked sold out. It was just such a fucking crazy, beautiful show. Desert yeah. Sharks are so inspirational. Another New York band that like doesn't stop and like. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so interesting. You mentioned so many people. I mean, both Ozzy and um, and uh, Albert are Punk Island organizers this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love it. And it's so crazy. I was, so myself and another, uh, two other Punk Island organizers, uh, we were all working South by Southwest this year. So I was trying, oh, yeah, cool. as stage managers. And we had three of our stage managers now also are punk island. That's uh, so interesting too to like be in that environment and like um you know, I think as as the world progresses and like the people who are in charge and involved and, and working for these huge institutions or corporations mm-hmm. are people who are coming from punk. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and so much cool work is being done around that, like the I don't know, um, like the Downtown Boys folks started with a couple other bands. What is that called? Um, to get bands paid $700 instead of 100 by South by Southwest. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, it's like a movement. It's yeah. called like Musicians Something Something for Fair Pay or something yeah. like that. Oh, I, yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to get South by Southwest to pay artists $700. Yeah, because well, they, they get a nasty deal. Yeah. all the math. Seven hundred dollars is chump change, and yeah. it's not like the best. The best bands get the Kuza, the best. They all get paid one fifty, but it's so punk rock that like I don't fucking complain. But then South by Southwest, like they should, you know, they should be paying more. So it's like these huge things that are being critiqued. But like I love when punks are like taking over the means of production, yeah. Um, because then it's like you're closer to like some revolution happening in the the pay aspect. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So I've been looking through your your sort of events, your old events, and uh, one show popped out at me. Uh, you opened for Gloss, Inako, and More Mother at Silent Barn in 2015. That's pretty. Yeah, that show was so fun. Yeah, tell me about it. There was even like a, there was even a Nazi escorted out of the building. Like it was everything happened. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Um, do you it have... was really good, though. That was one of those shows that I was kind of um, talking about that happened when it was like there's so much energy around representation, black, brown, trans. Like, yeah. and it was like, you know, Inaco are like black and trans, and then um, Gloss, a trans woman fronted, and then more mother, um, and me just being like black and brown, like, non-binary like badass women and i i did i did like solo stuff i i did i did like a couple of like poems and stuff like that so it was really fun mm. very cool very cool um i don't want to keep you too much longer um i i guess is there anything else you want to go over you, you've added so much to um you've really connected a lot of dots because what was very interesting was when I was talking to Al, Al's memory is very different of the, of the, um, 
Can really you talk good. to him again? Ask him about queers, beers, and rears. Yeah. Because maybe like a flood of memories will come back. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that would probably happen. Because I, I talked to him. He was involved with that. Like, really? he is band played and stuff. Like, that's so that's so funny and interesting. Shop. It was a cake shop. Where? Cake shop. Cake shop. Okay, okay. Yeah. That was the thing. So we were like Lower East Side. Like, that's where the gay nightlife had. That's where we're going to rally the gays. And Pyramid Club was there. Like, you know, it was just kind of like that we couldn't find a venue in Williamsburg. We actually tried to do Queers, Beers, and Rears before Cake Shop. It was at uh, Sin Lounge on Bedford Avenue. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't have bands comfortably. Like, we played once and it was like, what is this tiny-ass weird thing? And then... Um, we moved to Cake Shop, and Cake Shop was, you know, it was very punk at the time. It was still, like, Lower East Side was, like, you know how Saturday Night now in the Lower East Side is, like, oh, I'm in NYU! Oh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. it was not NYU back then. Yeah, definitely. It was, definitely. It was like, yeah, it that's, was fine. It's so interesting that, because, okay, so, when I was talking to Al about all this, they're basically saying, like, I moved to the city, and, uh, in, like, 2007... And there was nothing going on, but they said very similar things. He had a girlfriend, and he never left. They were they were like married. They were like you yeah. know, like couple. Like yeah. I didn't want to say that earlier, but yeah. that's what I was like. I never saw him around because he had a different life. But he was in Girlfriend Island. Girl, a band called Girlfriend no, Island. No, no, he was just like. No, he was just stuck on Girlfriend Island. Couple, I, yeah, I got you. Got you. Disappear and like yeah. don't hang out. Yeah, like, yeah. of course, of course. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um. There but saying, there was a lot happening, but he didn't yeah. go to Tompkins and stuff. He okay. didn't go, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I get it, too, because it's also, like, Jay was the only out trans person. Mm. So now, a lot of people that were organizing, men like Erica Lyle, um, who's so important as a trans woman who was in the community, she was in so many bands, she organized shows, um, but she came, you know, she came out, recently and then um, cookie also a huge organizer um of all those shows and she's she's queer and she was just like an organizer of Tompkins shows i don't know there's just a cookie hagendorf like just so many trans women were present in the community but it was just like a lot of queer you know even a lot of like cis dykes were in the closet like a lot of just like lorraine cookie hagendorf um, yeah, I think so. Or Hilgendorf. No, this is not them. Unless they're into catching trout, this is not them. No. Uh, what was the other? Her Instagram is just Cookie Hagendorf. She, um, just played with, um, Younger Lovers, and they opened for Bikini Kill. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> Erica Dawn Lyle? Yeah, she's, she, all she was in Bikini Kill. She's not anymore, but... Yeah, she's she's amazing. Uh, she um, also from Florida. She, she was she like she was one of the founders of anarchist punk in Miami, like as a community and as a movement. Like she wrote a zine called Scam in the nineties, uh -huh. and I love that scene. And so she's yeah, she's like she's such a pinnacle part of New York City trans punk. But like because she wasn't this like core organizer of. Um, Brooklyn Transport, I think that like people don't acknowledge, but another thing that I think would be really cool to acknowledge is the party Hey Queen. Um, hey Queen was a queer 
nightlife night, but it was ho- like the hosts were all like Riot Girl, like trans and dykes, like just it was just like really punk mm-hmm. in nature. And then every party was like a benefit for Silver Rivera Law Project, a benefit for somebody's top surgery. Like, mm-hmm. so it was very, very, it was like a very punk, queer nightlife party that I think, I can't remember if they ever did anything with Brooklyn Transport, but I think by the time Brooklyn Transport started happening, uh, Hey Queen was kind of huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, 2008, 2009, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, Hey Queen was where I went to be a queer punk and thrive. And, you know, Al would go to that too. Like, we all hung out there. Mm-hmm. We all got wasted and sad at Hey Queen. And, oh, yeah, that was a very important, like, moment of um, radical um, queer punk. Um, mobilizing in New York. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, like, what held these communities together was just this historical queer movements. Like, before Brooklyn Transport, uh, during the, the, during Pride, there was the drag march. And the drag march, um, before the drag march, all the punks were like, well, let's do, like, a queer march. And so around 2009, 2010, there was something called Aggressive Glitter Fest. I organized that with some punks. I can't, oh, oh, um, uh, Tit something, Tit Fit. That was their name. Tit Fit were early pre-Brooklyn Transport trans queer punks. Mm-hmm. And they organized a thing called queer i can't remember it was a march that mm-hmm. happened before dyke uh, it was not dyke it was like it was not against dyke march you know it was just like dyke march is not representing us dyke march is very cis women mm-hmm. and until it becomes trans which it is now you know until it becomes inclusive we want to do our own thing. And there was this, I can't fucking remember what it was called. I want to ask everybody, but it was a huge, it was really cool. And I just think that like, it's really important to know queer anarchist mobilizing is a huge foundation of Brooklyn Transcore. Yeah. Because a lot of the folks that were doing all that ended up doing Brooklyn Transcore. And I think that like, there was, tension in the beginning, you know, because it was different people doing different stuff, different bands, exes. Hello, it's like we're queer punk organizers. Our exes, I, you know, my ex was in the home records and then, and then was in Glitter Punch. And I, I set up a show once with Glitter Punch and after we broke up, it was so fucking awesome. It was my book release. Mm -hmm. But then we were, you know, we got like in a fight and home records and Glitter Punch never played a show together again. And that's, I, I really feel like the, the queer punk scenes that fall apart have so much interpersonal stuff that like is really important to like uh, forgive and sympathize with because 
we're all we're all wounded and you know somebody in our community hurts us and like and we want to do something about it the community falls apart you know yeah. and that's really hard um and i think that a lot of queer community queer punk scenes have disintegrated um because of interpersonal stuff um but and it's been really hard to like ensure one another's healing, which I always like want to try to do, but then it's, it's hard, you know, when people are hurting and, um, not, and, and like, can't clear the space anymore. Yeah. And I think that a lot of scenes falling apart, um, you know, like has a lot to do with that and it's really hard and, um, I think there's been a lot of division in a lot of these really beautiful scenes and um but it's always you know like really deep shit that we we have to like we all have we all are like working and getting better at addressing harm in our communities um so it's kind of i think it's a lifelong journey of making sure we're creating like safe spaces um but at the end of the day instead of like guaranteeing a certain kind of safety i think it's important to guarantee safety from police safety from transphobia mm -hmm. safety from, you know like these kinds of overall things where it's like your ex is over there we're over here but we're all safe and that's a very idealized romantic vision that i have about creating queer punk and feminist punk mm -hmm. Um, but I think that, I don't know, I, I think it's possible. I think it's possible as long as we keep um, creating, like, setting up shows that are, our rage is visible. You know, a lot of the queer trans representation on television is not angry enough for my fucking 40-year-old ass that's like, yeah, problems get solved so easy over on the freeform ABC television. <laughs> like, everything gets so... It's so, like, instant gratification, and I'm just like, no. Like, it's still angry. And that's what I think punk is important for, you know? Like, even if, like, Brooklyn Transform Punk Island is, like, all ages, it's about making space for kids, like, our rage is really obvious in our songs, and that's and that's all that matters, you know? Like, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah! Okay, very cool, very cool. There's a lot, uh, you've given me a lot of notes to, to look up, and uh, before we go, I just want to ask uh, your permission. I, I, I see so much great art on your page. Would you mind if I included the art that you made in relation to Brooklyn Transcore in this zine? Yeah, yeah. yeah is that all right? Uh, I, There's a punk pride poster with the pigeons on there. I would love to. I was just see. looking at that. Yeah, I, I have it open here somewhere. There's um, a lot. There's an old-ass... I can even email you. I actually have a, a folder of queer show flyers. Okay. Um, that I tried to, yo, I tried to put it in a queer punk book that mm -hmm. was published already. Yeah. And because they they blurbed me in the back, they're like, oh, you know, you're a queer punk icon. Let's put your blurb in the back. And I was like, well, can you put some of the work I've done, mm -hmm. like, to be included in the book? And they were like. No, like it won't really fit in because we see you <laughs> as like Green Day. Uh huh. And I was like, I'll take it, but you're missing out. But I kept the folder, so I can just um send it to you. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely send me the folder. The folder of flyers is a bunch of Brooklyn Transport stuff and then pre-Brooklyn Transport stuff. The, the stuff that's pre-Brooklyn Transport is very interesting to me um, because, uh, like I said, Al was the only person from the old crew uh, I could get a hold of. Santos wasn't interested in interviewing. Jane wasn't interested in interviewing. Or Jane was, but then kept not showing up to the interview. Um... Do you think, do you still have contact with Jay Oberman? Yeah. Uh, I think Jay would be a good, um... Yeah, would you mind texting them? I, I'm going to message them on Facebook, but uh, if you could reach out and just let them know um, who I am and what the project's like, I would love to talk to them. Because uh, we have very few people from that early period who, who have been able yeah, to Yeah, yeah, definitely. But all that pre-stuff pre is very, very interesting, very new information to me. So I definitely want to look up a lot of these names. Okay, so a lot of these flyers don't have the year written on them. Mm -hmm. But some of them are real, like Ladyfest. There's a Ladyfest flyer here from 2005. This is like, oh, this one does have the date on it. Um, And then let's see, the Downtown Boys has the date. Oh, the date. Oh, my God, I put the date on the flyers. Yes, I put the date on the flyers. Oh, some of them don't have the date. So, yeah, just let me know if... But aggressive glitter of evening of queer punk rag girl dancing drinks and decorating. Oh, my God. I'm so fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was Tip Fit, Bone Token, The Home Wreckers, and Hilly. Whoa. Um, yeah, I'll just send you a bunch of flyers. A lot of there's some flyers here from California that are queer shows I organized in California, but okay, um, okay. but yeah, yeah, send it to me and uh, I'll, I'll pull some stuff out. Um, but yeah, that's that's really awesome. Uh, let me see here. Here's a um, yeah, there's a bunch of flyers here. 1087. There's a bunch of flyers here that are queer shows from like 2011, 2010. That's the period. So here's what's interesting. And I've, I've been going back into my own archive and backing up all the flyers that I've made over the years because um, 2011 is Facebook, right? Everything from 2011 after that is on Facebook and still on Facebook. But everything that was on MySpace is gone forever. MySpace oh. was sold so many times that all the photos and videos no longer exist anywhere. So, um, it, a lot of this stuff wasn't even on the internet. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. One name you gave me, it was Queer, uh, Queer Fist pulls up a, My- a MySpace page, but all the links what? are dead. Yeah, Queer Fist has a Twitter that they never used and a MySpace page that has stuff on it, Wait, let me... but stuff that's no longer accessible. It's just a blank page. Queer Fist. Yeah. You can see their uh, friends list. You can see that they they used to have photos here, but the photos no longer work. Um, so I can't find it. Wait, is Queer Fist one word? Yeah, Queer Fist one word. I mean, there's people in... You remember the top... Oh, eight, I see, I see. You remember the Let's top see. eight? There's people in their top eight who would be interesting to know about. Queer Justice League. Yeah. I have, oh, no, yeah, no, these are told Adrian, Adrian, Caroline, 
so hilarious. These are just people that like don't even, you know, they probably all live in Portland or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, um, wow, that's so funny. Yeah, so here it is. Here it is, the anti-Bush protester link. This is totally, oh my God, I want to see there's a picture of Tommy in here. This is so cool. It's the LA Times. I wonder if they've mentioned NYC Queerfist. I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely 2004 anti-Bush stuff. Okay, okay. Look, queer anarchism, queer fist appeared in New York City on the in Wikipedia. You have, you know, you have a Wikipedia page, right? What's that? You have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I feel like that's a, that was always my goal. I just wanted to make enough stuff so that I got my own Wikipedia page. Yeah. And that was yeah. the goal. All queer actions at the RNC. This is so emotional. 2004. Wow. I just found, oh my God. This is insane. These are my roommates. There's a gay wedding. And it's so funny because this is like a performance of a gay wedding. And like that was radical, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was like a gay wedding on the steps of the court. In 2005? 2004. It was for um, George Bush protests. Yeah. Here it is. So this is like oh, this link here. Um, I don't know if I can... Maybe you found it. You want to bed button? Oh, you are? Okay. Alright. I'll see you later. Um let's see here. Queer actions bisexual transgender against Bush. Where is that? That second photo, vote Republican. <laughs> With the Nazi. Wait, wait, sorry. I, I, I've, um... Uh, moved on. I, I wait, um... With, oh, with... Oh, with the, with the Nazi? I, I don't know who those people are. Gay Republicans suck, but they can't suck me. That's great. Uh... Cool. George, honey, let it go. Yeah, this is Durwood with the with the wedding dress, with the white dress, and then next to Durwood is Adrian, who I had a huge crush on when I lived in Philly. And then behind her, oh my God, so funny! All of these like old anarchists from back in the day. Interesting. This is great stuff. Um, all right, listen, I'm gonna let you go. Thank you so much for everything. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, this has been really great. And um, so just so you know, uh, what I'll be doing is I'll be transcribing this interview and I'll be using pretty much direct quotes from you uh, for this. And uh, I think uh, right now I'm going to email you version one of this, which is, let's see here, uh, 26 pages. It's formatted as a zine, but... Um, uh, your contribution will be sort of put into the, the second version, which is going to be done very soon. Cool, thank you. Uh, and yeah, I really want to um, push it out to like a, uh, I was trying to, it, it's too long for like a, a zine publisher, I think, 
I wanted to push it to Comic Bus or someone like that, but I don't know what who I can send it to who would be interested in something this long. But um, I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of really well, fascinating yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I don't really microcosm is like the zine people, but I don't know how where Aaron pu pu Aaron just publishes on his own. Yeah. And he just has a bunch of. I feel like he has to have like some kind of distribution, like with some help, you know, but. He kind of seems to distribute instead of publish. Oh, yeah, yeah, other people's stuff, yeah. Well, but I gotta go. Yeah, of course. Listen, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, it was great to talk. It's been really great. I'll talk to you soon. And uh, eventually, um, not anytime soon, but I do want to go through this process again uh, about Punk Island. And really, I'm thinking about this Brooklyn Transcorp project as like um, as like a, a testing ground to do a bigger, longer thing about Punk Island. So uh, I would love to talk to you one day about something like that. But again, yeah, yeah. You know, thank you so much for this. And, oh, uh, yeah, thank you. All right. Have a good talk night. Talk to you soon.